Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the second Sunday of Advent. We're exactly three weeks away from Christmas Day. Wow, that was slightly disappointing. Uh, we are... <laughs> Today is the second Sunday of Advent. As I said, it's the time of the of year in the Christian tradition where we prepare for Christmas. Uh, you may have grown up with Advent, or this may be completely new to you. Uh, it was for me until I left home. Uh, but as Pastor Matthew shared last week, Advent simply means arrival or coming. And so the season is one in which we look forward to celebrate the arrival, the coming of baby Jesus. It's a time when we are invited into anticipation into reflection, into preparation. Uh, this year, we're looking at Advent through the lens of good news and great joy. Words that the angels spoke to the shepherds as they were watching over their flocks by night, uh, as told in Luke 2. Last week, we looked at the Advent theme of hope. Next week, it'll be joy and then peace after that. And today, as we mentioned already, we're exploring the theme of love. I want to start this conversation uh, by referencing a conversation that I had the other day, which was just, what are your favorites? So, what is your favorite Christmas song, movie, food, or tradition? I want you to, get, to think about that for a moment. If you're on YouTube, you can type these into the, into the chat, and Andrea will yell at me if we have any responses. Um, but I want to hear any of those things or all of those things. Just shout them out. What is your favorite Christmas song, movie, Food or tradition? Milk and cookies. Milk and cookies. It's a wonderful life. It's a wonderful life. Home alone. Home alone. Die hard. Die hard. <laughs> I knew that was coming. Others? Christmas carol. Christmas pajamas. Somebody else says something else. Okay. Nothing. All right, so for me, if we're uh, talking Christmas carols, Oh Holy Night, so thank you, Jocelyn, it's one of my favorites. If we're talking CCM, Amy Grant's Breath of Heaven uh, is, a, is a beloved one, and if we're just talking Christmas culture, uh, Mariah Carey's All I Want for Christmas. Um, Christmas food, uh, my mother-in-law makes a cinnamon twist on Christmas morning right before we open the presents and ideally before everyone's awake. So you wake up to this just wafting smell of baking cinnamon. I'm ready for lunch now. In <laughs> uh, Christmas tradition, uh, my family has recently started, uh, Carolyn and I are still figuring out our, our traditions. Uh, we've only been parents for three years, so we're still working through that. But uh, with the Fung clan, my parents are in Hong Kong, a brother and his family in Australia, and a brother and his family in California. So once a year, we try to get everybody across all the time zones onto a video call. Um, and it's just one of my favorites, uh, because it doesn't happen uh, as often as we would love it to. Uh, oh, movie. I enjoy a number, uh, as some of you just mentioned. But the one that I try to watch every year is actually The Nativity Story. Anybody know the nativity story? Not the actual one in the Bible, but like the movie. It came out in 2006. It has Oscar Isaac as Joseph, Oscar Isaac of now Star Wars and many other movies fame, and Keisha Castle Hughes from Whale Rider as Mary. 
Uh, I just really love the way that that particular version tells the story. Uh, these are all things that we love. These are things that I love about Christmas time. I love talking with my family. I love smelling and then eating cinnamon twist. I love listening to Christmas music after Thanksgiving. I know that some of you don't like order in your lives and you start listening to it in like Halloween. July. That's okay, July. <laughs> but what else comes to mind when you think, when you hear that word, that word love? Love lifts us up where we belong. Love is all you need. Love will keep us together. Love is a many splendored thing. Love actually. Love is blind. The term encapsulates so much, it's used so much, it's in reference to so many things that it can almost mean not very much at all. Or at least you have to figure out each time what exactly is being meant. And yet, love, true love, not just Princess Bride true love, but real love, actual love, is the most important thing we can know. It's the most important thing we can know. I agree with the Russian author Fyodor Dostoevsky who wrote that humble love is the strongest of all things and there is nothing like it. And I agree with the American author Bell Hooks who said to love well is the task in all meaningful relationships, not just romantic bonds, to love well. And I agree with a friend of mine named John who said to me many, many years ago now, birds were made to fly and fish were made to swim and human beings were made to love. That's how I understand what's called the great commandment where it says in the Bible that the most important thing we are to do is to love God with all that we are and to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. Understanding love is crucial in at least one more way. Because God is love. God is not just loving, although God is loving. God is love. God is love. God is love. It's what we're told in 1 John 4. Two times, in case you didn't get it the first time. See, in Luke 2, that story that we heard uh, Matthew preach from last week, we, uh, you know, we, we heard about Joseph and Mary and their journey to Bethlehem. We heard about the shepherds and the angels. We heard about uh, the strips of cloth that baby Jesus was wrapped in and the feeding trough he was laid in. In Luke 2, we heard the details of what happened. But in 1 John 4, we learned the depths of what happened. We're told what was really going on beneath the surface, what was really taking place at a cosmic spiritual level, specifically in verse 9, this is how the love of God was revealed to us, is revealed to us. God has sent His only Son into the world so that we can live through Him. In the words of poet Christina Rossetti, love came down at Christmas time. God who is love, came as a human being so that we could live through him, so that we could experience life and love to the full today, right now, 
in the midst of everything going on in your life and around you. Love came down. This is the good news and the great joy of the love of God, of the God who is love, of the God who is love becoming a baby named Jesus. In the words of Father Richard Rohr, Jesus didn't come to change God's mind about us. Jesus came to change our minds about God. That's what happened when love came down. We got to see who God is. God knows, knows who God is. God has always known who God is. We got to see who God is. We got to see what God is like. We got to see how deeply and dearly loved we really are. We who find it so hard to love ourselves sometimes. Because we know ourselves most of the time. So much of what we do in life, for good and for ill, it comes back to the desire for, the yearning after, the human condition to love and be loved. That can show up in different ways, through seeking an approval or, or an ambition to be great at something in order to win others' approval, or when we drown ourselves in our appetites or addictions because we aren't feeling loved or because we want to feel loved or because we don't think or feel worthy of love. We spend our time spinning our wheels. Instead of being transformed by the love of God and loving others as we love ourselves, thereby transforming the world. In 1 John 4, the Apostle, the Apostle John is writing to the church, exhorting them to love one another. But the driving force of that love, which we find at the center of the passage, is the love of God. This is how the love of God is revealed to us. God has sent His only Son into the world so that we can live through Him. This is love. It's not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as the sacrifice that deals with our sins. And then later on, we love because God first loved us. Jesus, John is saying that the motivator for our love is God's love. God's love gives us the example and it gives us the energy for how we are to love others. For John, it seems ludicrous to be a recipient of the love of God whom we have not seen and claim to love God in return, again, the one whom we have not seen, while failing to love, not in words but in actions and in truth, our brother and sister whom we have seen, whom we do see, those around us every day. 1 Corinthians 13 describes what love is probably heard this passage read at a wedding. Yet the Apostle Paul is not merely talking here about romantic love. Just like the Apostle John, he's instructing the church on what it looks like to live in love, what it looks like to love one another. It's a beautiful, poetic passage extolling the nature of love. But more than that, it is about what to do and how to be. Because for, for context, every characteristic that Paul gives about love is actually a direct shot at the behavior and the actions and the words of the folks that he was writing to, that he spent the first 12 chapters talking about. He's saying, do better. Be better. Everything that is going on that you've just told me about is the opposite of what love looks like. And while Paul did not write that God is love, it was John, I think it pairs so beautifully with John's words so that we have this stunning glimpse 
into what the God who is love is like. Unlike many contemporary understandings of love, the biblical definition is not soft, it is not easy, it is not fuzzy. Love is patient. Love is kind, it isn't jealous, it doesn't brag, it isn't arrogant, it isn't rude, it doesn't seek its own advantage, it isn't irritable, it doesn't keep a record of complaints, it isn't happy with injustice, but it is happy with the truth. Love puts up with all things, trusts in all things, hopes for all things, endures all things. Love never fails. It's a description like this that led author C.S. Lewis to write, Love is not affectionate feeling, but a steady wish for the loved person's ultimate good as far as it can be obtained. A steady wish for the loved person's ultimate good as far as it can be obtained. And Maya Angelou wrote, love recognizes no barriers. It jumps hurdles, it leaps fences, it penetrates walls to arrive at its destination full of hope. And to me, that is such a beautiful description of the God who is love, of the God revealed in Jesus, the one who loved us so much that nothing could stand in the way of God's plan to be reconciled and reunited with us so that we might live through him. We are so deeply loved by the creator of the universe. You are so deeply loved. Jesus came to show that. And I want us to sit with that for a bit to personalize this grand cosmic philosophical truth. And so I'd like to practice a meditation with the help of 1 Corinthians 13. I want to invite you to close your eyes or to focus on a spot in front of you, to sit up and sit comfortably, to take a deep breath. And I want you to repeat after me out loud. God is patient with me. God is patient with me. God is kind to me. God is kind to me. God is not envious of me. God is not envious of me. God is not boastful or arrogant towards me. God is not boastful or arrogant towards me. God is not rude to me. God is not rude to me. God does not dishonor me. God does not dishonor me. God does not seek God's own advantage over me. God does not seek God's own advantage over me. God is not easily angered by me. God is not easily angered by me. God does not keep a record of my wrongs. God does not keep a record of my wrongs. God is not happy with injustice in me, but is happy with the truth. God is not happy with injustice in me, but is happy with the truth. God always protects me. God always protects me. Always trusts me. 
always hopes for me. Always perseveres with me. God never fails. God. We'll take another deep breath and come back to the space and open up your eyes. I wonder what difference it would make to our lives if that was the voice we heard, if that was the truth we heard, if we remembered in every moment that we live loved, that we are loved right here, right now, as you are, not as you want to be, not as you hope to be, not as you wish you were. Surely it would change our lives. And yet I cannot fail to mention it is inseparable, this love of God, from our response. As John wrote, those who say, I love God and hate their brothers or sisters, they're liars. After all, those who don't love their brothers or sisters whom they have seen can hardly love God whom they have not seen. This commandment we have from him, those who claim to love God ought to love their brother and sister also. How we are loved is evidenced by how we love evidenced in how we love, how we love God, how we love others. That's why Jesus said the most important commandment was to love God, and the second, loving our neighbor as ourselves, is like it. To love our neighbor as we love ourselves is to show our love for God, to show we know God's love for us. In the 20th century, there was a Jewish philosopher called Martin, Martin Buber. Martin Buber described two poles, two opposites in human interactions, two ways of meeting, interacting with another person. Okay. On the one side, there's what's called I-thou, I-thou, where we meet the other person as another person, as they are, as fully as they are, with their own desires and dreams, with their own idiosyncrasies and baggage. I-thou. On the other side, there's I, it. I, it. Where we treat the other person as an it, as an object. Something to reflect or to project or use to meet our own needs, to gratify ourselves. Now let me ask you, what does love look like? I, thou meeting another person as they are, as a person. But what is easier? What is our inclination? What is our tendency? What is our automatic reaction? I will start the confession. It is so much easier to treat my kids as those who make me look good, which they do when they are cute and well-behaved, than it is to treat them as developing human beings who are discovering boundaries and feelings and expressing themselves in ways I would prefer they not. It is so much easier to treat my wife as someone who exists to make my life easier, even if it is to, you know, whether by doing her share of the housework or the parenting or bringing home a paycheck, than it is to meet her where she is, with her calling and her longings and her hopes. It's always easier to treat others as objects than to truly love them. Rainer Maria Rilke was a, an Austrian poet. It's Advent, I'm quoting a lot of poets. 
I'm not even done. <laughs> Rilke wrote, for one human being to love another human being, that is perhaps the most difficult task that has been entrusted to us. Let me say that again. For one human being to love another human being, that is perhaps the most difficult task that has been entrusted to us. The ultimate task, the final test in proof, the work for which all other work is merely preparation. For one human being to love another human being. And so I want us to, to make that same shift that John does with the words of Paul. In, in 1 John 4, the author sandwiches the truth, the motivator, the core of the message, God is love and God loves us, inside the corresponding and necessary action, we are to love one another. And so we're going to turn our meditation into a prayer. Now, you don't have to say it out loud this time, but as I say each line, I hope you will pray the line and that you will add the name of a person or a group of people in your heart. What we're saying is this is how we want to love practically, tangibly. We don't just want to talk about love. We want to love. God, help us get there. So God, this week, help me be patient with. God, this week, help me be kind to God, this week, help me not be envious of. God, this week, help me not be boastful or arrogant towards. God, this week, help me not be rude to. God, this week, help me honor. God, this week, help me not seek my own advantage over. God, this week, help me not be easily angered by. God, help me this week not keep a record of this person's wrongs. God, this week, help me not be happy with injustice, but be happy with the truth in. God, this week, help me protect them, trust them, Hope for them. Persevere with them. Amen. God is love. And we, as those made in the image of the God who is love, are made to love. That's why Jesus talked about it. That's why God's great law is not just things not to do and to do. It's not just about rules and regulations. His law is love. And so in Leviticus, it lays out rules and regulations. And 
They're practical steps to show love for God and love for neighbor and love for self for the people of Israel in that time. The idea of Sabbath, one of the Ten Commandments, it was never just about a break from working hard. It was intended to be a tangible illustration of love. Rest, yes, but not just you. Everyone under your care. The animals, too. The land, too. Remember that God is the one who provides. Rest in the love of God and invite others into that love. But fortunately for us, God didn't just stop with the law because we needed an example. We needed to be able to see what love actually looks like in practice. And so we have Jesus, the God who is love made flesh. God incarnate and love incarnate, the one who loved in every moment, in every interaction. Love is the lens through which I'm invited to understand every action Jesus took and every word Jesus said. In his healings, there is love. In his restoration and correction of, for example, the woman caught in adultery, there is love. In his hard words about prayer and rest and divorce and money, there's love. In his rebuke of the prideful and powerful, in his challenge of systems and structures of injustice, in his welcome to the marginalized and pushed aside, there's love. God's law is love, so Jesus' life was love. An embodied will, steady wish for the good of the other person. That ultimately led him to the cross. We celebrate the baby Jesus in this season. But unless we want to treat him as an it, as an object, as something to further our own agenda or achieve our own gratification, we must meet him as fully as he was. We meet Jesus as a person, as the one who went to the cross as well, as the ultimate demonstration, as the full embodiment, as the absolute incarnation of God's love for God's creation. We meet this Jesus who says, as we've been learning this fall, Follow me. Be like me. This is the way. This is the good news and great joy. Not just for you, but for all of creation. Would you pray with me? I'll close with a, an excerpt from another poem. It's called The Anointing by Pastor Drew Jackson. Thank you, Amy, for the recommendation. There are times when that something comes over you. You know those times. Pay attention. Let it fill you to overflowing. Allow it to move your pen to write. Open your mouth to say those words at which you tremble. Pick up that brush to paint or, or sweep. But whatever that something moves you to do, let the Spirit take you to shake the foundations and make new worlds, to break open new paradigms and design an unforeseen story, to love. It will always move you to love. May that be true of us. In Jesus' name, amen.